0: Amen. Amen. Wow, (laughs) let me give it up for the Lord. That was powerful. It's awesome. All right. Hey, everyone, again, welcome. Hey, uh, if you guys want, turn to 1 John. 1 John, it's towards the back of the Bible, but we are in 1 John chapter 3 tonight. So 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, we've been making our way through the book of 1 John. This is actually our fifth week. Meeting as a group and uh, it's been really cool. It's been a pleasure to be with you guys and go through this book with you guys. Uh, I love this little book of First John. I really do believe God used this book when I was about 18 years old in my life to kind of just show me who he was. Um, how can I really know him? How do I know I'm walking with him? So it's is a powerful little book so I'm glad you guys are here. I'm actually, I love this text today. We're going to just do three verses. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 through 3 is all we're going to look at. Um, If you guys were here last week, if you weren't, let me just give you a little review. Let me catch up to speed. But before I do that, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We want to get you a Bible so you can follow along with us. We have some Bibles in case you don't have one. We believe in going through the Bible. So uh, 1 John, last week we talked about verse 18 through 28. We looked at counterfeit Christianity. Uh, If you guys want to reread those verses or look back, maybe remember the message, uh, John is talking about the spirit of the Antichrist. If you remember verse 18, he said, hey, you've heard the Antichrist is coming, but there's a spirit of Antichrist. And without getting really weird, we didn't bust out any maps or get into like dates. No, uh, but we talked about the idea of the spirit of the Antichrist or those who not only are against Christ, but try to take the place of Christ. There are doctrines or there are people that try to take the place of Christ in their life. You can make things be the antichrist a thing can take the place of christ in your life and so john was actually calling out a group of people called gnostics they had this belief that jesus did not come in the flesh he did not physically rise again that he was either a spirit from god or an emanation from god but not really god in the flesh so john is calling out this bad doctrine and just like again today there are many and many things that we're trying to call out so that was last week we're talking about we talked about counterfeit christianity today we're going to really look at more of what what are we what is this What are Christians? How do you define that? What's our real identity? And so John's going to talk about not just the counterfeit Christians last week, but he says here's what a real Christian is. It's a son or daughter of God. And so I love this text. I'm, I'm looking so forward to reading this and going through with you. And again, just to review in case you are new, let me just, again, catch up to speed. First John, it's one of John's last books he wrote. John wrote the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, on this little island called Patmos. John was probably 80 to 100 years old. Then he got exiled back or taken back into Asia Minor or nowadays Turkey, where he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So picture this old guy, the last disciple living. The last disciple, the last person who walked with Jesus, ate with Jesus, knew Jesus. He's being brought into different churches, and he's just preaching little messages. And John, C B S tells us, a church historian would tell us that John would go to old churches and he would just say, little children, love one another, and the end of the message. And you guys would probably love that, a five-word sermon. You're like, Yay, can we just go home after that? But John would do that, five-word message, and then leave. And his focus was this idea of just love one another, love one another, love one another. And so if you remember, last week, we've been in chapter one and two, we talked a lot about the light of God, walking in the light of God. If I to, if I had to kind of, I guess, break down this book for you, I want to do that really quick. Chapter 1 and 2 is experiencing the light of God. Chapter 3 and 4 is experiencing the love of God. And chapter 5 is experiencing the life of God. And so we're going to talk a lot about love the next few weeks. might get sick of talking about love, but it's going to be good. Uh, and so this is what he's talking about in, in this chapter now, chapter 3. And again, John's a guy who wasn't always loving. John's a guy who wasn't always patient. It's something radically happened in his heart and his life. And my hope is this, that when we know, if we really know Jesus, there will be change. If we really spend time and pray and talk to Jesus and be in fellowship with others who love Jesus and are all about Jesus, there's going to be change. There's no way you can experience or encounter the living God and have our life look the same. It's just it's not possible. So John is talking about experiencing the love of God, saying the way I walked with Jesus is the same way you and I can walk with Jesus. We can also walk with Jesus in this way. And so John is talking about this, and here's just some thoughts on this. I love some of these quotes about this idea of knowing God, walking with God, how we're created for this. Maybe you've heard this quote by Blaise Pascal. He said, there's a God-shaped hole in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God the creator made known through Jesus. There's this idea that every single person has this God-shaped hole that cannot be filled by any other thing other than by God the creator made known through Jesus. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says it this way, that God has placed eternity into the hearts of men right? St. Augustine said, um, our hearts are restless, O oh Lord, until they rest in you. There is this idea for all of us that we are just going restless, dissatisfied people until we learn to actually find rest in God and knowing God and walking with God and experiencing God. And the whole point, the whole point of First John is saying, you can know God. You can walk with God. You can experience God. John says, I know Jesus died and rose again. I know he ascended into heaven, but you can have a real relationship with him like I had, like I have, And so that was the first few verses kind of welcoming us into this. So now, today, what we're going to look at and read, and what I love is this, this kind of three points to this is, here's what we are, here's what we will be, and here's what that does for us. So what we are, what we will be, what that does for us. So I just want to read 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. We'll read that probably twice because it's so powerful, and then we'll pray and look at it more in depth. All right. So 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, if you would read it with me, it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Jesus. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when Jesus is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure." All right, one more time because I think it's worth reading again, right? It says, verse 1, Behold, behold what manner, what strange kind of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And just a simple idea of today is a hope that purifies, a hope that purifies, a hope of seeing Jesus, of being with Jesus, of walking with Jesus, of knowing Jesus. This hope of actually being face-to-face with Jesus one day literally will lead to purity in our lives. That's kind of the main idea. So let's just pray, and we'll go over this kind of step-by-step. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. So much for this time to worship you, to sing to you, to worship you through your word. God, I just ask that even today as we maybe hear things that maybe we've heard before or once heard, or maybe as we hear things that we once believed, God, let our hearts believe in it again today. Jesus, that we would rest in this truth that we are your sons. That God, we have this legal position of being your heir. And so speak to us, God, for people who just even in this room, maybe they don't know you or maybe they've heard about you. God, I ask that today we would really just know you. We'd walk with you. God, we look to you because we don't know how else to look to you. And so we ask that your spirit would just speak and move. And we just thank you again for this wonderful time. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, This was a few years ago. I was at a football game, high school football game. And I was there and I was leaving, walking to my car. And um, as I'm walking to my car, I'm looking in this big, big parking lot, you know, trying to find my car, but a little white Toyota, and I feel like everyone has a white Toyota, because I don't know, that's what it feels like sometimes when you have your car. So I'm walking around, I walk by a few white Toyotas, I'm like, that's not my car, that's not my car. I'm like, kind of lost in the parking lot, and then I finally go to this one car, I go, I think that's my car. And I'm looking at it, and I see my stuff in it, but that's not my license plate. And I'm like, okay, there's my, that's my car. That's not my license plate. And so I worked in youth ministry, and so as you would, I just called everyone who worked in youth ministry. And I'm like, okay, who stole my license plate, right? So I started calling some students. I started calling some coworkers. I'm like, hey, it's funny. Did you steal my license plate? It's so funny. Can you just give it back? And they're like, no, I didn't steal your license plate. And so I'm like, okay, I wonder what this could be. So no one, everyone I called, no one stole it. No one said they stole it. So I get home. I actually call like the local police department. I'm like, hey, I have a different license plate on my car, can you come on out? A police officer comes to my home, he walks to my car and he runs the license plate tag and he goes, oh yeah, that's a stolen license plate. Um, Actually we've seen this going on recently. People are stealing license plates and replacing with other license plates. So right now you have a stolen license plate on your car. I'm like, awesome. So he takes off my license plate and it's funny to me because I go, right now someone's probably driving my Toyota Corolla's license plate with it Stolen, and little do they know, like me, like, hey, that's not mine. And so, I was talking to the police officer. He goes, Hey, it just takes like a week, and one week you'll get a new license plate. But for, for during that time, you'll just have no license plate. So, for a week, not a big deal, but for a week, I had no license plate now. If you ever drive around with no license plate, in my mind, I'm just really susceptible to getting pulled over. I'm like, okay, this is kind of sketchy. Here's a random broken looking Toyota Corolla uh, with no license plate. And I really didn't want to get pulled over. Even though I could explain to the officer, hey, it was stolen, I'm waiting, I really didn't want to get pulled over. So for one week of my life, and probably that's about it, for one week, I actually drove really safe, right? Like hands on 10 and 2. Remember that back in the day? Uh, just trying to actually obey the laws of the land, like going the speed. For like one week, I've probably never driven so safe. And, and why? because i knew that there was a point at any point in time i could get pulled over because i have a sketchy looking car with no license plate like i knew i could face you know a police officer at any point in time same thing happens when you kind of lose your license if you don't have your license you i really don't want to get pulled over because if i get pulled over I have to explain this to him he's probably not gonna believe me and write me a ticket and you really you start to drive safe again here's the idea this idea or expectation of knowing that you could stand before someone and give an account for something and a lot of times it leads to purity a lot of times it leads to change in your life. Knowing that you can give an account to someone for something might, change to a, a, might lead to a change in your behavior in some ways. And kind of honestly, here's what John's getting at. He says, There is this hope, and it shouldn't be a fear. There's a hope, this confident expectation. That's what hope means a confident expectation of seeing Jesus face to face. We have this confident expectation, and he goes, And everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as Jesus is pure. If you have this hope, and I have this hope, that we could see Jesus at any point in time, he says it will lead to a change in lifestyle. There's no way you can really believe that if we really do believe Jesus could show up at any point in time, we really do believe in the coming of Jesus. People doubt his first coming, people are doubting his second coming, but we really do believe Jesus could and will come again. And that the point of that is it will lead to a purity in our lifestyle. It just has to if you really do believe that. John is talking about a hope that purifies now i want to point this out before we kind of get into this too much john is talking about in verse one here's what we are children of god verse two he says here's what we will be we're going to be this one day it's not yet been revealed but we know this will be like him and then he says and here's what that leads to so if you want to like outline this three kind of thoughts today what are we what we are what will we be and what that does for us all right so what are we what will we be and what that does for us. So let's look at verse 1. Let's break this down. What are we? Like, what are are Christians? A lot of people wonder, what are you guys? Verse 1, it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. So what are we? What are we? Just say it. Verse 1, we are children of God. Now let's let's just talk about that for a second. Actually, this word behold, it's really interesting. If you read 1 John, you're reading through the text, and you see this expression that John, is ex- that John is kind of showing us, it's kind of like someone called it a, a thoughtful outburst. It's almost as if John is thinking about Jesus and what he's done for us and who he is in verse 28, in light of his coming, John just can't help but almost just have this thoughtful outburst, this almost praise of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And here's kind of the idea. Um, how many of us and how many of you have ever heard a truth? You've heard it many times over and over again, and it means nothing to you, kind of like I've heard this. We've heard Jesus died and rose again many times. And then one day, for whatever reason it is, you kind of go, oh my oh my gosh, you know what Jesus did? Jesus was my substitute. Jesus took my place. And You're like, yeah, like your friend's like, I knew that. I've, we've, we've heard that a million times. You're like, no, no, but he was my substitute. And you're like, yeah, right? Like for some reason, there's a day sometimes where truths we've heard over and over again kind of begin to sink into our hearts. And this is kind of that word that John is using. He's saying, be mindful of, behold is like meditate on, look, experience. Behold, he's like stare at, dwell on, what manner, what strange kind of love the Father has for us. Like I want you to think about this. This is a weird kind of love. God has a crazy kind of love for us. And he goes, behold that. Just think about that for a second. We might know, you might have heard this before, that God loves you, right? That's not like anything super profound. But John's like, behold it for a little bit. Just behold that. And I love this if you actually read this in the Greek this is an idiom all right now I had to go back and study idioms and I <laughs> just to make sure I, what is that uh, if you guys remember uh, we use phrases we use terms, we use idioms like this we'll say hey it's raining cats and dogs right that, that's an idiom it's raining cats and dogs we know what that means we know hey, it's, it's raining really heavy outside like oh, there's a lot of rain it's raining cats and dogs if we were to take our American standard like idioms and translate them into like Cantonese and we're like oh it's raining cats and dogs translate the person's like, it's raining cats and dogs. The people are like, no way, it's raining cats and dogs? <laughs> like, for them, they wouldn't, like, get it. Like, we get it, right? We know what an idiom, we, we know that is for us. John is using this idiom that they would understand. Here's kind of the idea. It's almost like we won't get it. John is saying, behold, what strange, or he's actually saying, what out-of-the-planet kind of love is this? What celestial kind of love is this? What heavenly kind of love is this? What love that this is so not common amongst us? What strange kind of love, what manner kind of love the Father has actually given to us? Not that we earned it. It was given. This love, this out-of-the-planet, unearthly kind of love. He goes, behold that. Behold this love that we should be called children of God. And let me just say this. Do not overlook that. Like, just a minute. Do not overlook that. That you and I are a child of God. And let's just think about that. Let's just slow down a little bit. That we are called children of God. You know, um, I think when someone asks a question like what is a Christian there's many ways to answer that and, and the thing I love about Christianity is like the more you study it the more you see that Christianity is like this awesome complex diamond it's beautiful but there's many different sides to it and many different angles you could look at it through and one of these angles for us is we are children of God and the terminology John is using is this is a legal position like we are legally children of God we are adopted into the family of God and, and I want to like think like again how do you become a child of God and what does that look like and it's funny, if I, ask, if I ask some of you, if I ask a Christian on the street, if I say, hey, are you a Christian? And, I, and maybe you've heard people say this, they go, well, I try or I hope so. If someone says, I hope so or I try, they don't understand Christianity. Right? To paraphrase Yoda, uh, you either are or you are not. There is no try. Right? The idea is like, what when, was that part? He talked to Luke. Never mind. Um, the, the, idea, the idea of this for Christians is, it's not you try to be a Christian. You either are or you are not. You're either a child of God or you're not a child of God. You're either born into the family or you're not in the family. And it really is a beautiful thing when you understand you don't have to try. You're either legally adopted into the family or you're not. And people might go, but isn't everyone God's children? And it's like we we know no, everyone's God's creation, but not everyone's God's children. Right? It's John chapter 1 verse 17 and or John chapter 1 verse 12 it says as many as received him to them he gave the right, the right to be called children of God. As many as received Jesus, he gave the right to be called children of God. As many as believe in him, you are now a child of God. And what does that mean? And what does that do? And what does that look, look like? You know, you read Galatians and it talks a lot about this idea of adoption, being adopted into the family of God. And is that just a term? Is that, just, is, is that something John or Paul throws out loosely or lightly? Like, hey, you're part of the family of God. That means nothing. Like, there's actually a lot of meaning behind that. And there's a few thoughts, if you want to write these down. Adoption or being into the family of God, number one, if you want to write these down. Uh, adoption cancels our debts. Adoption cancels our debts. You know, if you do study like Greco-Roman culture, it's interesting. If there's a very wealthy man and he never had children, what they would do a lot of times in this Greek or Roman culture is they'd actually adopt an adult son or daughter that they could actually leave their inheritance to. So imagine you're a wealthy man, you'd never had kids, and you go, well, who am I going to leave my, my my everything? Like, who am I leave my inheritance to? And so you, someone you knew or trusted, you say, you know what, I want to actually legally go to court with you and I'm going to adopt you as my son and you're going to be now my legal heir. And the idea was, imagine being that person. Imagine maybe you were abandoned by your family. Imagine you never had a, pa- a father. Maybe you did have a father. Maybe he wasn't a good father. But the idea is you, ta- you have a relationship with this man who's extremely wealthy and he says, I don't need kids, but I want you to be my, my adopted son. And imagine you, your whole life, you just live with debt. Let's just say you went to college, right? So you have debt. You have lots of debt. And he's like, I want to adopt you. And so he adopts you and... And what that would mean for that, that son or that daughter would mean immediately all your debt was transferred now to your father. All of the debt that you had and you, you, you took on was not yours anymore. It's now actually the, your father's debt. And this is like their Greco-Roman understanding of this idea of adoption is my debt has now been transferred over to my father. The idea of us being a son or daughter of God means my debt has been transferred over to my father. I no longer carry my debt. I don't have to pay one day for my debt. My, my debt has been paid for. My debt's been completely paid for. I now have an inheritance. You know, I don't know if any of you have. Maybe you've adopted, or maybe you are adopted. My mom's adopted. Uh, and I think my mom was born in 1960. And uh, before Roy, Roy, Roy can you say it? Roy V. Wade. Um, my great, my grandma actually took my mom to, to abort my mom. She met. and It wasn't legal then. She met with someone. She was about to get. You know, go through the whole process. He walked her my grandma through what he was going to do and my grandma just got freaked out and said no i can't i can't do it i do not want to i can't do that so my grandma thankfully uh gave up my mom for adoption and that i'm very thankful because i wouldn't have my son or i wouldn't be here so she gave up my mom for adoption and my my grandpa ken wilmarth adopted my mom when she's i think like four weeks old she'd up he adopted my mom at that point in time a mom who was in a sense not wanted who in a sense didn't really have a family or belong to anyone or anything she now has a new family she now has a new, a new name. She now has a new inheritance. So much came with that adoption process. So that when my grandpa passed away a few years ago, my mom and her also her adopted brother got the inheritance, right? Because why? That's, the, that's their kids. That's their family. The idea is this, and Peter talks about this. Not only are our debts canceled, but we have this inheritance now in heaven. That we have an inheritance that will never corrupt or never fade away. That you and I, and I'm guilty, we live for things so much that will fade away. We put so much time and energy and money in, and into things that will not last 5 years, 10 years, 50 years, 100 years. And the Bible says you and I have an inheritance that will never fade away. You and I, we have God. 2 Corinthians 8 9. That's why we're exchange, with this idea of God was rich. He became poor. We're poor. Now we're rich. This is the gospel that you and I have a heavenly inheritance, a spiritual inheritance, I think even a practical inheritance, when Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. Like, there's so much in store being adopted in the family of God. So this idea or term of we are children of God is not just a meaningless term. It actually means so much. Number two, if you are taking note, again, adoption gives you access, right? Nothing crazy profound, but adoption gives you access. If you would, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 Uh, The author of Hebrews writes, come boldly to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This idea, I love this thought of, come boldly, not arrogantly, not timidly, not shamefully, but you and I can come boldly into the throne room of grace and I'm so thankful God's throne is called a throne of grace. It could be called a lot of other things. It will one day be a throne of judgment, but right now it's a throne of grace. And we can go to this throne of grace and find mercy and grace and help in time of need and i love that you and i have 24 access to god i love that when jesus and it's it's not just there in the bible for some random reason when jesus died on the cross we know that the temple was literally torn in half from top to bottom That we know that the veil sorry in the temple was torn in half from top to bottom the veil this veil would separate the priests from the holy place the holy of holies what that really meant was there was this place called the ark of the covenant in the holy of holies where god's presence or glory would dwell, essentially but there was a day that that veil was rent; it was ripped in half, and as almost as if on the cross, God said, "Come on in." It's not just for one man, one day a year, can you have access to my presence? But it's for everyone, every day of the year, that we have we can come now boldly to the throne of grace. You know, as so you think about this, the president of the United States, or not the current one, just make up one uh, in your mind. But if he has, you know, children, siblings, whatever, at any point in time, his child, in a sense has access to him probably even more than his spouse. A child, if he has a, an eight-year-old daughter, she can wake up at 3 a.m. and say, Daddy, will you get me some milk or water or whatever? Even if his spouse they probably like, honey, you can do it yourself. But if a child comes to the president and goes, hey, will you get me water, milk, 3 a.m., she's probably the only person that has a, that kind of access to her dad and that the dad would respond to in that way. And the idea that we, we have so much a greater than a president, a greater than a, a high priest, a greater than anyone, we have access to God at any point in time. And do we understand that? Do I understand that Hebrews calls what we have a better covenant? It's better. We have a better covenant. We have something better than the prophets had. We actually, all of us, have access to God in a very unique way. I really do believe that. I believe that the Spirit of God fell upon certain people at certain times. You read about Samson or different people that like had God's Spirit come upon them at certain times. Hebrews basically is saying that can be available for everyone and anyone because we have this better covenant. That's not reserved for a great man or great woman here or there, but it's reserved for every believer who has a Holy Spirit dwelling in them. We have access to our God at any point, any time. Number three, if you're taking notes, what does adoption mean? Adoption means this. God loves you as much as he loves his natural son. God loves you as much as he, he loves his natural son. If you talk to anyone who ever adopts or will adopt, it's not, never, no one's ever going to be like, well, I love my biological more than I love. That's just not going to happen. They, you love your adopted son or daughter as much as you love your natural son. Where is that in the Bible? John 17, 23, isn't that so cool? Uh, it says this. Jesus is praying and says, you have loved them as you have loved me. Jesus says, God, you've loved them. You love my disciples. You love my people as, as you've loved me. That we are loved as much as a natural, as much as the son. Can we just let that sink in? We know that Jesus also, Jesus is God. Jesus is God, God the son. Our God, our Father loves us as he loves his Son. Jesus even says that. He prays that. He talks about that. I love this idea. You know, Charles Spurgeon said something funny. He goes, like, I'm so glad God chose me before the foundation of the world because if he didn't, he probably wouldn't have chosen me afterwards. Like that, he's like, we have a God who chose us from the very beginning, that you're my son, you're my daughter. There's a story, I've shared this before with our team. Uh, There's a story of two kids who are fighting. One's adopted, one's biological, and they're fighting their little kids, and the biological kid says to his brother, he says, yeah, what do you know? You're just adopted. Like, ow, right? What do you know? You're just adopted. And then the the adopted son says, oh yeah, that just means dad chose me me but he got stuck with you right i love that thought i love the thought of yes our father has chosen us he loves us i tell you guys adoption it cancels your debt adoption gives you access adoption means he loves you as much as he loves his natural son can i even just like ask this question when did god love us did god love us when we were lovable it's like, no, God loved us while we're at our worst. When I was literally at my worst, God's like, I love you. Like, that's a father's love. Like, even when my son is at his worst, you go, love that little brat. Like, that's the heart of it. It's like, I love you when you're at your worst. Doesn't matter like, again, you're not more of a son when you're good, and you're not less of a son when you're bad. You're just a son. It's not like you're having a really good week, so God's like, yeah, you're more my son, you're more my daughter this week, because you're being really good this week. Thank you. You're like, oh, you're a bad week. Mm, you're a little bit less of a son this week. Like, no, there's not like a less of a son or more of a son. You are either a son or a daughter. Like, there's, no, there's not this middle ground. Like, even when I was at my worst, he loved me. And it's crazy because we're, I know that I can be so. I was talking to our, our small group, I think, about this this week, that probably the, the, something I realized, it's really wrong, is I'm super ungrateful. Like, how many times does God just provide or come through, and I just kind of go, oh, that's cool, and like move on with my day? You know, you think about when you raise a baby, like we have a two and a half year old, you probably hear him right now. If you hear loud screaming, it's not just my voice, it's probably him um, back there. But we have him it's not like at, you know, when he was six months or three months or two weeks old, when he was crying and waking about 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 5 a.m., she would breastfeed, I would just encourage her. Uh, when, when that was happening, It's not like he would roll over and be like, wow, thank you so much for waking up six times tonight to feed me, you're such great parents. Like he's not aware of that. He's not aware of the kind of love we have. He's not aware that we're losing sleep and going to work like a crazy person. Like he's not aware. But like you almost don't, you just go, it doesn't doesn't matter. Listen, he might not offer us in a sense. Do you think about a child? They don't essentially offer you value. They're not, like, helping around the house. They're not, like, doing chores. Like, oh, my gosh, like you make my life so much better. They're not as, They're not doing that, but it's weird how much you just love. It doesn't, doesn't like, they, they don't even need to offer value. You just have a love for them. doesn't matter if he offers value or not. He's my son, right? Do you understand that this is God's heart for you? That even when you, your performance isn't good, when your performance is bad, it's not like, mm, you're less this week. It it's not based off that. It's just are you son, are you adopted, or are you not? Again, behold, what strange kind of love is this, that we should be called children of God. What weird kind of love, what out-of-the-planet kind of love, what celestial kind of love is this, that God would look at us when we're at our worst and say, that's my son, that's my daughter, you're now my heir. He goes, that's a weird kind of love. That's a love we're stopping and meditating on. That's a love we're thinking about. That's a love we shouldn't just pass over and go, yeah, 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 we're children of God. It's like, no, you, you are a son or daughter of God. You've been adopted illegally into the family of God. And with that comes so much. You have a new name. You have a new family. You have a new inheritance. Praise God for adoption, right? For adopting, not just, yes, like real adoption here, but even us being adopted into the family of God. There's so much involved with this idea of being adopted into the family of God. And again, you are either in the family or not. And it's so easy. If you receive him, if you believe in his name, he gives you the right to be called a children or a child of God. If you just simply receive that and believe that, John 1:12. And I would say, in your seat, you can believe that. I'd say, I believe that. I receive that. And the Bible says, you're a child of God. That's what we are. Now, what will we be? Like, that's a cool thought. Like, we, we're still going to be that. We're not going to, like, lose. Like, we're not going to be an unchild, like, child that's no longer a child. Like, we're still going to be that. But what will we be? Like, what does that look like? What does our future look like? Look at verse 2. This is great. He goes, beloved, now, now we are children of God. I like, I like this. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he, Jesus, is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All right, so what will we be? This thought is, it's not yet been revealed. Like, we really fully don't know. We don't fully know. We, we know in some ways, but we don't fully know. And I love this thought. I love this thought. We don't fully get it yet. You guys know uh, a couple of these verses I'll throw at you. One being First Corinthians two nine. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, mind cannot even conceive that what God has prepared for those who love him. There's a side of this where it's like, uh, we we can't really fully understand what God has prepared for those who love him. It's not yet fully been revealed what we shall be. Remember when Paul, if you read 2 Corinthians 12, you know probably the text, maybe not. But in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul, he's describing himself, he's talking like third person, whatever. But Paul had this encounter where he, he was taken up into heaven. And you can read this, and it's fascinating. Like, when was that? I don't know. Paul was stoned to death in Acts 14. He literally died. So maybe this is when he had his encounter in heaven. I don't know. But Paul in Second Corinthians 12 is writing about this time he was in heaven. And he says, the things I've heard and seen, it'd be unlawful for me to tell you about the things I've seen and heard. It'd be, it wouldn't be right for me to try to describe it. Like, how do you try to describe color to somebody who's ever seen color? Like, how do you be like, oh, it's blue. You know, blue's like kind of blue it's pretty cool it's in the sky in the water you know it's picture you have black and make it lighter it's blue like how do you like how do you tell somebody's blind and hasn't seen that you just really can't it's like how do you, like, i love when the bible talks about heaven in revelation 4 it's like oh god's throne was like a rainbow wrapped in lightning you know you're imagining like, can you imagine that you're like no i can't it's funny when the bible tries to like explain heaven and talk about it this way paul's like it's unlawful. whenever someone writes a book about heaven i'm like mm, I, don't, I don't know like you write a book about heaven okay paul couldn't do it but i guess you can but the idea of like okay it's crazy when Smith it's not yet been revealed what we shall be. It's not been fully revealed. No eye has seen, no ear heard, no mind. No, my mind is really weird. So your mind. We can imagine cool things and fun things. We can, like, Walt Disney created Disneyland with his mind, right? The idea of like, perce- like, the idea is we can't even perceive. We can't even imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be. That's cool. I love that there's still of mystery with God. I love there's still this idea of, like, well, there's still more to come. But we know this. Look, at keep reading verse 2. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I love this. But we know that when Jesus is revealed, we know that when we see Jesus, we'll be like him. What, what will we be? We'll be like Jesus. Just let that sink in. We'll be like We won't be Jesus, but we'll be like Jesus. Now, I do like to think about this because, in some ways, remember when Jesus died and rose again? The disciples are in a room. They're like, did re- Jesus really rise again? I swear he did. And they're like, talking. And then Jesus, like, teleports in the room. He's like, hey, I'm here, guys. And Tom's like, let me feel. Remember that encounter? Or Jesus walking on the road to a maze with two disciples and he breaks bread with them and they go, you're Jesus. Then he, like, disappeared. Or when they saw him ascend into heaven, like, Jesus walks through walls, he teleports, he flies. Like, when I think about that, I go, heaven. I'll teleport, I'll walk through walls, I'll fly. Like, I like that thought in some ways. like And maybe that's true, but I do think it's much more rich than that. You see, when we see him, we'll be like him. Jesus was the one who was kind enough to forgive a woman caught in adultery. He was righteous enough to call Pharisees sinners. He was powerful enough to calm the storm. I mean, Jesus is everything you and I ever want. Jesus is everything you and I, our heart ever has craved. Little do we know it. Jesus is everything we've wanted in our life. And he goes, when we'll see him, we'll be like him. Like, the more you read about Jesus, the more you fall in love with Jesus. The more you read about Jesus, you go, man, this guy's awesome. Like, he knows how to appropriately, like, rebuke people, like, ninja tongue. Like, well, and just kind of like, but also lovingly build them at the same time. Like, Jesus is everything our heart just desires. It's incredible to me that the Bible says you'll be like that. You'll be like him. And because it it's why. We'll see him as he is. See, this idea, and this is what I love, um, St. Augustine called this in his writings, he called this the beatific vision. This is what theologians called 1 John 3, 2, it's called the beatific vision, and don't let that overwhelm you, that word, but the beatific vision is basically the climax of human history. 1 John 3, 2 is describing a day that every person, that human history, we're all moving towards this day where we see Jesus. Every, every one of us individually and every one of us corporately, we're moving to this day when we will see Jesus. And if you think about a climax of a story, like you can go in your life, you go, Oh, when I got married, do I have my kids? Like we have like those like mountain peaks moments, but really the climax of our lives is the day we see Jesus face to face. The climax of our story, of the earth's story, of this whole process is we go, oh oh my gosh, we see him face to face. We see him as he is. It does not get any better than that. That is the climax of the story. story. Here's a verse for you guys just so you can write it down. Uh, Psalm 17, 15, it says, as for me, I will see your face in righteousness and I will be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. Do you hear that? As for me, can put that out there. Sorry, <laughs> threw me off for really that. Uh, as for me, he says, "I will see your face in righteousness, and I will read the verse." And I, <laughs> I will see your face in righteousness. And I will be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. In your likeness, we shall be like him. I'll be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. Another verse th- for you: Second Corinthians three eighteen. But we all, with an open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are being changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And don't just this is a verse that's not like, just like mystical just think about this verse we with an open face are, beho- are beholden beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed to the same image from glory to glory as you and I behold Jesus we will become like Jesus as you and I stare into the faith, face of Jesus as we read about Jesus talk about Jesus love Jesus serve Jesus serve the people in the name of Jesus as we do this we'll become like him we'll be transformed from our little minor glory to his glory from smaller glory to greater glory It's like, again, the more, what you behold is what you become. Maybe you've heard that before, but it's just so true. What it is you stare at, what it is you love, what it is you focus on, what it is you give your time and money and energy to, that's what you become. As you behold Jesus, as you stare at Jesus and focus on Jesus, you'll behold him, you'll become like him. There's a side where we'll become more like him. As we focus and meditate and talk about Jesus and worship Jesus, you'll become like Jesus. It's just natural. The more you spend time with someone, the more you usually talk like them, act like them. It just Whatever it is like, it just kind of transfers over to us. That's the idea when you spend time with Jesus. Another verse in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, Paul writes, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Let me just point this out. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Think about mirrors back then, right? Mirrors weren't like our mirrors, where you, saw yourself, where you see yourself very clearly. Mirrors were polished metal. They would take metal, imagine like I take a shield or something, and I polish it, and I'm like, oh, there I am. And like, yes, sure, Like it, you could see your reflection, but it'd probably like lo- elongated. I don't know, it'd probably just be weird. Like, oh, it's a zits, like this long. It, it wasn't a perfect exact reflection of the person. And Paul's saying, we've seen a mirror dimly. Like, I kind of, we kind of have this, we read the scriptures and we go, yeah, Jesus. And there's this idea that it's God, in the, it's God revealing himself to us through his word, of course. But it's gonna be so much more clear when we see him face to face. Because sometimes we can make Jesus in our image. Sometimes we go, well, I think Jesus likes this. I don't think Jesus likes that. And it's like, no, that's just you and you're putting Jesus' name into it. There's a side of it, though, when you go, everything I've ever heard and read, yes, and his, God's revealing, us, revealing his son to us through his word, but there's nothing like the day we'll see him face to face. And the Bible says we'll be transformed from glory to glory. And you're just getting that little, like, that little sneak peek. We're getting like right now, right now, we have like a sneak peek of the glory of Jesus. Do you ever worship? and you're just like brought to tears, or reading, or you're praying, or you're driving, and you're talking to God, and you've, you've sensed God, and you're like, oh, and it's like beautiful, and you're like wiping away your tears, like, God is so good. And it's like, we we know it wasn't fully his glory, but it's that little taste of it. And even sometimes you might be worshiping, or sitting, or reading, and you go, you've experienced God, and you go, God, you're too good. You're too good, like, it's too much. So I'm excited, like, one day, though, just imagine all of that. You know, I shared this story a little bit before with our, our crew and our group, but um, my, I mentioned this last week about my wife and I backpacked Europe like five years ago, 2012. We did our, like, let's, before we have kids, let's have our dream vacation and backpack Europe. And so we went to f- uh, France, Switzerland, Italy, Greece, and Turkey. And that, we'll never do that again. Uh, it's awesome. And so, um, <laughs> no, maybe for our university sometime. Um, but we did our little backpack thing. We left from France in a and I don't know if you've ever heard of this town called Zermatt. Zermont's where you can see the Matterhorn. I don't know if you've ever seen the Matterhorn. Google the Matterhorn. It's beautiful. Um, but we grew up in Southern California. And so growing up, we'd go to Disneyland. We had Disneyland passes. Now we have Disney World passes, we're weirdos. Uh, but we had, we had Disneyland passes like 14, 15, 16. At Disneyland, they have a ride that they do not have at Disney World called the Matterhorn. I don't know if you've ever been to Disneyland, but we love it. And at the Matterhorn, it's so cool. Like we were dating high, you know, high schoolers, just young and you know, stupid, but it's okay. Uh, but we're, we're in line, I remember like one day, I'm like, hey, see the Matterhorn? One day I'll take you to the real thing. You know, like a stupid like high schooler would. Um, <laughs> and we're like, you know, we talk about, like, we really wanna go there one day. And so here we are, we're in Zermatt, we're in Switzerland. We're in the city that like the only town where you really can see the Matterhorn is like in your face. And so we're only there for a day and a half. We're there for two nights, like a day and a half. We get there and it's just cloudy. And we're like, okay. And we look check the weather. It's like it'll be cloudy tomorrow. You're like, no, better not be. So we're there, it's cloudy, it's rainy. We're there the next day, it's cloudy, it's rainy. We're talking to someone that night, we're like, please tell us, will it be cloudy and rainy? They go, No, the sun should come out about like eight or nine o'clock in the morning. Like the sun sh- the sun should like pop to the mountains then. Well, our train left like seven thirty a.m. And so we wake up at six AM and we're just like we ask the local, we're like, Where's the Matterhorn? Because you're just in a city with fog, you're like, I don't even know what direction to look. Like, where's the Matterhorn? They're like, oh, on this bridge, the Matterhorn's that way. So we sit on this bridge, probably for an hour, waiting for our, our train to come. And we sit on the bridge and there's just fog, just so much fog and no one's up and it's very cold. And we're sitting there and I start to be like Moses. I start losing my mind. I'm like, clouds depart, and, like just praying, like just <laughs> hoping that I could just see the Matterhorn. And so we're sitting there, sitting there really for like an hour. And our tra- it's, it's like, you know, 15 minutes, 10 minutes, whatever. But I remember at one point in time, you kind of saw like the sun burst through and it's really like you saw the sun burst through and you see the matterhorn and we basically saw like this portion of the matterhorn with the sun coming through and like you see it like, psh, you're like oh it's glorious and then like the clouds come and it's gone and you're like oh my gosh awful. it's awful like such a tease but we saw like this much and you can almost imagine like oh can't you just picture the shape of the mountain like just because you saw that one little shape and it's so pathetic but in our minds is like is a little piece of glory and now we have a reason to go back one day just so we can experience the full mountain as all of its glory but there was something about just getting a taste of it you go oh my gosh I just want more. I want the real thing. Like, I've had a taste, but can't I get the real deal? And maybe for us in worship, in prayer alone, you kind of have this little taste. We go, Jesus and all this glory. You go, we can't handle it right now. Like, I cannot handle the glory of Jesus in this body. I just can't. I can't see Jesus face to face and be like, let me just walk away from that and like live. Like, I can't. Like, I, we're getting a little taste. We're getting a little piece of glory. And I love, I love John's heart. He goes, but one day face to face, for we shall see him as he is. Can I just point this out to you? We shall see him as he is. You know, when I, read, when I read the New Testament, I read the Gospels, there's so many times I want to see Jesus as a baby born in Bethlehem. I want to see Jesus, you know, in Galilee walking on water. I want to see Jesus with the multitudes feeding the 5,000. Like, I want to see Jesus do something. Like, I, I wanted, how cool would be to see that or have seen that? But the thought is, we won't just see him as he is. We'll see, we won't see him as he was. We will see him as he is. But I won't see Jesus, you know, with a reed in his hand but with a scepter. I won't see Jesus with a crown of thorns. I'll see him with a crown. You know, I'll see him clothed in rainbows, wrapped in lightning. Whatever that means, I'll see that. I'll see him as he is. And I think how much better to see him as he is. How much better to see him in all of his glory. To see the risen, glorified Jesus. John is saying, you'll see him as he is. And you'll be made like him. If you behold Jesus, you're going to become like him. You and I cannot behold the glory of Jesus and not become like Jesus. We can't fake it. We can talk about Jesus and pretend we know Jesus and we can't have those, we can't have those things. John said in the first few verses, you can't fake it, but if you really are alone with Jesus, if you really are in fasting and talking to Jesus, if you really are just around the people of Jesus, you're going to become like him. It's just going to happen. It's just going to be part of it. We shall see him as he is. What are we? We're children of God. What will we be? We don't know. It's not yet been revealed, but we do know that we'll be like him, but we do know we shall see him as he is. But we do know we'll see him in all of his glory, that we have a little taste now, but we will see the glory of Jesus face to face. We'll have a new body where we finally can receive him in all of his glory. It's going to be a wonderful day. And then verse 3 says this, right? right? It says, that, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And everyone who has this hope purifies himself. And it's, there's an action. There's an imperative. There's a commitment. You're going to purify yourself. Everyone who hopes in Jesus, everyone who longs to see Jesus, everyone who wants to be with Jesus, everyone who says, I just, I, I love Jesus, I can't get out. If that's true, everyone has that hope of seeing Jesus face to face. It will lead to purity. It will purify yourself just as he is pure. It does not really lead to perfection. It does not lead to us being sinless in this life, but it will lead to purity. Remember Matthew 5 when Jesus said, Blessed are the what? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The pure in heart see God. Seeing God, everyone has the hope of seeing God leads to purity. There's just something about that hope that leads to purity in our life. Like there will be change. The secret private sins, they will be brought to the light. We just can't dwell in darkness with God being light. We've, we've talked about that five weeks ago. We just can't. If you have the hope of being and seeing Jesus, it's going to lead to, hey, there's some things in my life that i got to remove. There's some things in my life I've got to repent of. There's some things in my life I've got to confess. There's some things in my life I've got to give over to God. It's not just like, I love Jesus. There's also this love of Jesus will lead to repentance of a lot of other things. Again, Jesus doesn't want to be uh, uh, the best amongst all. He wants to be the only. Jesus doesn't want to be like, oh, I'm, I know I'm glad that I'm number one and you have number two, number threes. And he goes, no, just make me number one. This idea of just being with Jesus will lead to purity. Again, it's this to put it into our terms, for us again, we understand this. The hope of being with someone will lead to the, the, the purity in your life, right? If you've never been been on a date or haven't been on a date in a while and you finally have a date coming up what do you do you start working out again right you actually shower it's new Uh, you brush your teeth you maybe get your teeth whitened you're like i've been single for so long but i have this hope of being with someone so then you start to purify your life you're like i cannot wait to be with this person i cannot wait to make some change you will make changes for the idea or the hope of being with them there'll be some changes in your life and that is kind of the idea this idea of being with jesus it's going to lead to some change like, we will, again, we will want to be like him. We will want to walk with him. John, this whole book of John is saying you can know God, you can walk with God, and you can also know if you're faking it with God. If you say you love God and hate your brother, you're a liar. If you say you love God and walk in darkness, you're a liar. There's this constant contrast of saying, you know what, if you really behold Jesus, you'll really become like him. There will be pure in your life. There will be expectation in your life. There will just be this idea of, I can't wait for Jesus, so let my life really display that. Let me just share this. Matthew 24, Jesus talked about the evil servant and the faithful servant, Right? We kind of like talked about this, I think, a minute last week, but the idea of the evil servant and the faithful servant is the evil servant says Jesus is not coming back. My master is not coming back. The master he left the money, he left the farm, he left the land. He went away to a far country. There's all these servants there, and there's some servants that say, Hey, you know what? He's never coming back. That other land's way better. He's never coming back to our land. Let's just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Let's just make the most of this. And then there's the faithful servants who say, No, no, we don't know when our master's coming, and they're watching and they're waiting and they're watching and they're waiting and they're looking for their master's return. And it leads one group of people start it says they start getting drunk and abusing one another and other people have this purity of waiting and looking for their master's return and there's this idea that our master left he went away to a far country and it's either going to lead to this two expectations one is waiting and watching and one is just kind of walking away and saying no 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 it's not real it's fake it's made up there's like two outcomes in looking for the return of our of our master And and john says everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure there will be a change Listen, I hope, I pray, I, I hope that anyone who ever walks foot in this room, if they're not a child of God, that they can be, that they would receive Jesus, they'd believe in Jesus, they'd trust in Jesus, you can be a part of the family. If you're part of the family, know what you have access to. Take advantage of that. You know. Understand what you and I have on a day-to-day basis. Know that we do have a, a good Heavenly Father who's faithful, who's in heaven waiting to spend time with us, waiting to know us. Know that there's this idea that they will be purity in our lives now. And, and this is something where John's saying, this is my again, imagine this grandpa talking to his kids, going, listen, I'm going to die, I'm going to be with Jesus, but you're still going to be here. And you look for Jesus. You wait for Jesus. You have the hope of Jesus. And it will lead to a change in your life. It's led to a change in my life. And John's this old man writing this letter, like pouring out his heart and emotions. Behold, meditate on what weird kind of love that, Father, that the Father would love someone like us even when I'm at my worst. Even when I was giving God the middle finger, essentially, God was still pursuing me and loving me. He goes, that's a weird kind of love. That, that's an that's a unfathomable kind of love, an immeasurable kind of love that we have from God. And he goes, think about that, meditate on that, dwell on that. My hope is that we would do that. My hope is that we'd be a small community or a community that just is healthy, that is all about Jesus, focus on Jesus, talk about Jesus, not playing the church games of coming in, do what we need to do, like really knowing Jesus, really having purity in our lives. Will we fail? Of course we will. That's why we're here to point, us to, point at each other back to Jesus. That's the, that's the hope for this. The hope is that we would look for Jesus and long for Jesus and lead to purity. Amen? My prayer is that our group of people would be a people that are sold out for the gospel of each other, that we'd not just be faking community, we'd be in community, that we could really be a community that is based about the gospel of Jesus and making him known to those who don't know him yet. Amen? Here's what I'm going to do right now. I'm going to pray. Pray for you guys, pray for this time. I really hope, I don't just pray and say amen and we forget this message. I really hope that what was shared today can sink into our hearts. And please hear me before we like, pack up for a second. The reason we do small groups and the reason we do meet about the text we just had is because we go, "Hey, we just heard something. Now let's meditate more on it." The danger of being a Christian, I think, sometimes in 2017, is we can hear 40 or 50 different sermons a week and nothing sticks. And so the hope is that we could actually hear this text, talk about it as a group, digest it as a group, you know, hold each other accountable as a group, and apply it to our lives. Amen. And so we're going to say we're going to pray. We're going to say Amen, but it's not done yet. I hope that this leads to purity in our lives as, our, as leaders and marriages and friendships, as just followers of Jesus. I hope it can lead to a change in every way. Um, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. I'm going to say amen. If you guys know, tonight's kind of like our vision update night. What that means is we're going to say, here's where we are. Here's where we want to be. It's probably going to be 10 to 15 minutes long. I think I'm going to open it up to questions. I'm going to let you ask questions I can't answer, and we're all going to laugh, and then we'll go on and move on. But um, I do want to. I do really want to do that because I really actually need your guys's thoughts and insights on the, some of the questions I'm going to share and some of the, some of the things we're going to share tonight. So I'd love to get like if this is something you go, hey, this is my community or this is a community I really want to be a part of. Like I really do value kind of saying what you're going to share, what you might have feedback for us. Because um, we're just praying over things and we want to we want to make a decision as one. Um, so I'm going to share that with you guys and then after that we're going to have like a little next door. Like I said, there's like a little fall thing going on. I don't know decorations, cider pumpkins i don't know um <laughs> not a fall festival just a fall thing so uh we're not gonna do that right now i'm gonna pray we're probably going to give you like two or three minutes just if you want to run to the bathroom use the bathroom come right back we'll start in like two or three minutes and then uh the fall thing will be open but it's not open until then all right so we pray talk amongst each other you'll have two minutes just to hang out and then we'll get started again father we thank you there really is no one like you and God, just forgive me, forgive my heart for so many times approaching you in just vain ways or praying to you in just vain repetitions, saying the same things and not knowing what I'm saying. God, I ask that you give my heart, our hearts here, clarity of thought, clarity of ears to hear. God, what is it you want to do with this church? This is your church. God, we are literally, uh, we are nothing without you. But we know all things are possible through you. And so we look to you. We ask for just heavenly wisdom. We just lack wisdom, so we ask for wisdom, Jesus. And uh, speak in this time. Let your heart be clearly seen and declared. We hope we can honor you in your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen.